Every need is hand supplying. Every good in him I see. You know, sometimes we look at people and say, well, you know, they're a good person. They have good, some certain good qualities, but everybody has their flaws. But not the Lord Jesus. Every good in him we see. All right, if you would take your Bible this evening, turn to the book of Isaiah. <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 44. That's in the uh, Old Testament, by the way. Um, this, is, this, is, this book's been called by some the, uh, the Bible in miniature. You know, there's 66 books in the Bible, and there's 66 chapters in the book of Isaiah. And a lot of doctrine in the book of Isaiah. It's a book of judgment upon the nation of Israel, but a lot of doctrine. And, and uh, tonight, I'm going to look at chapter 24, and we're going to kind of look at some other chapters as well. Uh, actually, chapter 51 as well, and a few other places, but mostly in the book of Isaiah. And the title of the message tonight, Encouraged to Remember. Courage to the member. You know, of course, Isaiah's writing, it's a book of judgment concerning, um, he prophesied during the days of, of Uzziah, Hezekiah, and Manasseh. I believe Manasseh actually killed him. He was martyred. Um, it's history, the historians say that he was, he, he hid in a, Jewish historians say he hid in a, a hollow cedar and Manasseh had it cut in two him in it. Uh, that's, that's what you know, Jewish rabbis say. Anyway, for what that's worth, I don't know, but, but that is the way that they believe he died, but he was put to death uh, during the reign of Manasseh. But anyway, he encourages us to remember here in chapter 44, and I'm going to read verses 21 through 24 to get started, then we'll be looking at other places as well. But Isaiah 44, verse 21, remember these, O Jacob and Israel, for thou art my servant, I have formed thee, thou art my servant, O Israel. Thou shalt not be forgotten of me. This is a book about judgment. Your judgment's coming, but he reminds them, you'll not be forgotten. God doesn't forget his own. Verse 22. I have blotted out as a thick cloud thy transgressions, and as a cloud thy sins. Return unto me, for I have redeemed thee. Sing, O you heavens, for the Lord hath done it. Shout, ye lower parts of the earth. Break forth into singing, you mountains, O forests, and every tree therein. For the Lord hath redeemed Jacob and glorified himself in Israel. Thus saith the Lord, thy Redeemer, he that formed thee from the womb, I am the Lord that maketh all things, that stretcheth forth the heavens alone, that spreadeth upon the earth by myself, that frustrateth the tokens of the liars, and maketh diviners mad, and turneth wise men backward, and maketh their knowledge foolish. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity we have to open your word tonight. We thank you for these uh, scripture, for the scriptures preserved for us, and uh, thank you for these Old Testament prophets that wrote to encourage their people of Israel at the time, and encourage our hearts as well. For we serve the same God, and His truth uh, transcends time, and His salvation shall never change, but it is the same for he is the same yesterday and today and forever. So help us to be encouraged tonight in your goodness to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So he's telling them 
the children of Israel to remember some things. That, of course, remember that I have redeemed these. He uses that word redeemed, I think, three times there in that passage. It kind of reminds me of a New Testament epistle, Second Peter. And Peter uses the word remembrance or remember or put you in mind four or five times in three chapters of Second Peter. And for example, in Second Peter 1, verse 12, he says, Wherefore I will not be negligent, but you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them, be established in the present truth. Yea, I think it meet as long as I am in this tabernacle to stir you up by putting you in remembrance, knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ has showed me. So, you know, Peter is in a similar situation as Isaiah. Isaiah knew his time, his days were numbered. Uh, Peter knew his days were numbered, that he would be uh, put to death for the cause of Christ. And so he writes to encourage and put in remembrance. Uh, these things concerning the Lord and His coming. In chapter 3, verses 1-2, again, he says, This second epistle, Beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, and of the commandments of us, the apostles, of our Lord and Savior. And so, you know, he is reminding us that the Lord is coming. He will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, which is Jesus Christ. And we are, as Peter reminded himself, as he prepared for the end of his life, that salvation, deliverance from darkness, deliverance from the confusion is of the Lord. It's of the Lord. In fact, he tells us that in in chapter 1, and this is what Isaiah is saying to the nation of Israel and, and, and to us. But in chapter 1 of Second Peter in verse 15, he says, Moreover, I will endeavor that you may be able, after my decease to have these things always in remembrance. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables. We made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For we received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to Him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. This voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with Him in the holy mount. We have also a more sure word of prophecy whereunto you do well to take heed as though the light that shineth in a dark place unto the day dawn and day star rise in your heart. So, so be reminded, you know, it's the Lord that brings salvation. It's the Lord that delivers us from the darkness of this evil world, the confusion that we see everywhere in the world today, and, and, so, and who will deliver us from, the, from, from this evil world one day. So we ought to remember, Isaiah is telling his people, look, judgment is coming, but remember a few things. Remember, redemption is of the Lord. Redemption is of the Lord. Again, in verses 21 through 24, he says, Remember these, O Jacob and Israel. Now, I, I ask myself, okay, why did he say Jacob and Israel? It's the same thing. But I want you to think about why did he change Jacob's name? When did he change Jacob's name? You know, Jacob, we, when we think of Jacob, we think of the supplanter, the deceiver, the man after the flesh. But when you think of Israel, what's Israel mean? Anybody know what Israel means? Prince with God. He wrestled with the angel of the Lord, and he changed his name from, Thou shalt no more be called Jacob, but Israel shall be thy name. And, and I believe that Isaiah is reminding him, look, 
You're acting like Jacob. You're acting like Jacob. But you are Israel. Thou art my servant. You know, Jacob came the Lord's servant. Thou art my servant, O Israel. I have formed thee. Thou art my servant, O Israel. Thou shalt not be forgotten. I, I, you know, I made promises to Israel. I made promises to, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I have not forgotten them. I've not forgotten those promises. He said, I have blotted out as a thick cloud thy transgressions. And as a cloud thy sins, return unto me, for I have redeemed thee. Sing, O ye heavens, for I, the Lord hath done it. Yea, shout ye lower parts of the earth. Break forth into singing, ye mountains, O forest, and every tree therein. For the Lord hath redeemed Jacob and glorified himself in Israel. You see, it, it, in Israel, the prince with God, God will be glorified, but he needs to redeem Jacob. He needs to redeem Jacob. And he becomes Israel. Thus saith the Lord, thy Redeemer, and he that formed thee from the womb, I am the Lord that maketh all things, that stretcheth forth the heavens alone, that spreadeth the rod the earth by myself. So redemption is of the Lord. And you know, as we think about this chapter, the background to this, in, 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 the, in the first 20 verses, the, you know, the Lord declares he is the Lord, he is the creator, and it is vanity to create a God of your own. You know, as, if you read, I'm not going to take time to read all this, uh, but but start in there, verse 6. Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first, and I am the last. And beside me there is no God. It kind of reminds me of Paul writing to the church of Corinth in 2 Corinthians. It says, Am not I an apostle? Have I not seen the Lord Jesus Christ? Do not I or Barnabas have power to lead about a wife or brethren or sisters? Or to forbear working? You know, he's, what he's doing is, He's, he's having to defend his, his appointment by the Lord. And the Lord here is having to defend himself against his own people. Declaring who he is. Because they are not recognizing him for who he is. And so he's, he's declaring himself, you might say. Uh, in verse 7, And who, as I, shall call and declare it and set in order for me, since I appointed the ancient people... And the things that are coming and shall come, let them show unto them. Fear ye not, neither be afraid. Have not I told thee from that time, and have declared it? Ye are even my witnesses. Is there a God beside me? Yea, there is no God. I know not any. They that make a graven image are all of them vanity, and their delectable things shall not profit. And they are their own witnesses. They see not, nor know. That they may be ashamed. You know, speaking of the delectable things, the things that they love, and you know, and you know, we don't, we don't think much. We don't look at our our country as a country of idolaters, like the countries of the Far East. You know, they have their little Buddha statues, and you know, and there are some pockets of it here in our country. Like if you go down, was it um, Forest? Is it Forestville Road? Um, off of Mitchell Mill? There's a, there's a the temple of some kind down in there. It's a Buddhist temple. Uh, I thought it's what it was. But anyway, you know, so there are some places. I remember up in Maryland, there was a, there was a statue of Buddha, and there was a temple there as well. But, but for the most part, in America, we don't, we, don't have, we don't build idols, you know, out of wood and stone. Or, but, you know, in our minds, we create a God of our own. We have created gods of our own. And we've forsaken the God of the Bible. 
and I'll see that a little bit more here later on. But, but so we're just as idolatrous as many of the Far Eastern nations. And he says in verse 9, they, they that make graven images, um, let's write down verse 10, who hath formed a god or molten a graven image that is profitable for nothing. You make a god of your own, own designs, whether it's in your mind or your concepts or whether it's a, something you form out of wood or stone, it's nothing. It's going to come to nothing. It can't do anything for you. Behold, all his fellows shall be ashamed, and the workmen, they are of men. Let them all be gathered together. Let them stand up. Yet they shall fear, and they shall be ashamed together. The smiths with the tongs both worketh with the coals, and fashion it with hammers, and worketh it with the strength of these arms. Yea, he is hungry, and his strength faileth. He drinketh no water, and is faint. The carpenter stretcheth out his rule. He marketh it out with a line. He fitteth it with planes. He marketh it out with a compass, maketh it after the figure of a man, according to the beauty of a man, that it may remain in the house. For he heweth him down cedars, and taketh the cypress and the oak, which he strengtheneth for himself among the trees of the forest. He planteth an ash, and the rain doth nourish it. Then shall it be for a man to burn, for he will take thereof and warm himself. Yea, he kindleth it, and baketh bread. Yea, he maketh a god, and worshipeth it. He maketh it a graven image, falleth down thereto. He burneth part thereof in the fire, with part thereof he eateth flesh. He roasteth roast, and is satisfied. Yea, he warmeth himself, and saith... Aha, I am warm, I have seen the fire. And the residue thereof, or the left of it, he, he maketh a god, even his graven image. He falleth down unto it, and worshipeth it, and prayeth unto it, and saith, Deliver me from our, my god. You know, can you imagine, the picture here is, you know, you, you take, a, take a tree and you cut part of it up and burn it to heat, to warm yourself. And, and, the other, and you use part of it to, to uh, cook your roast for your food. And then you take the same or the same tree and make a statue and say it's a god. Is there something wrong with this picture? That's what they were doing. But you know, that's the way man is. You're reminded of what uh, Rab Shackett said to the children of Israel that were on the wall when, when Sennacherib's besieged Jerusalem, 2 Kings 18.22. He says, but if you say unto me, we trust in the Lord our God, is not that he whose high places and whose altars Hezekiah hath taken away and hath said to Judah and Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar in Jerusalem? So, you know, Rabshakeh is thinking, you know, Hezekiah took away the high places and the, and the altars that were outside, that were on the hills and in the groves that weren't supposed to be there. That God didn't ordain. God ordained one place for worship in Israel. That was in the tabernacle, well, this day, the temple. All others was a form of false worship. But the, the world looks at it and says, oh, you took away the worship of God. You see, that's what man wants, something that he can see. The world may say, where are the symbols of your God? The pictures of Jesus Looks like a hippie. Mary and the saints. You know, the rituals of Lent, Nash Wednesday, and so on and so forth. All that stuff. You know, man has clearly come up with making things out of the, that which was created to worship the Creator. It kind of reminds me of Romans chapter 1 when. 
And Paul says, that may which may be known of God, Romans 1 and verse 20, for the invisible things from the creation of the Lord are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they have an excuse. Because that, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God in the image made like to corruptible man, and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. And, and, of course, verse 25 says, Who changed the truth of God into lie and worship and served the creature more than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So, so they, 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 they worship, you know, uh, man comes up with things made out of that which created to worship the Creator, uh, that made things out of that which is cursed by sin to worship He who is without sin. You know, the, the, the earth is cursed in everything therein. I, I, you know, I understand that you know, we can look in the world and we can still see beauty in the world, even though it's cursed. But it's all cursed by sin. But yet man makes things out of the earth that's defiled by sin to worship him who is without sin. Does that seem logical? Or use things that we can see to worship him who is a spirit. God is a spirit. Jesus told the Samaritan woman, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So, so Isaiah is saying, look, redemption is not on all these things you're making. Redemption or your salvation is in the Lord that made heaven and earth. Proverbs 3.26, For the Lord shall be thy confidence. Proverbs 14.26, And the fear of the Lord is strong confidence. Children, his children shall have a place of refuge, because he is that refuge. You know, over and over and again in, in this book by Isaiah, I, he says, he, one of the th- phrases he uses is, I am the Lord. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. Look at it. Chapter 42, verse 5 through 8. Thus saith God, the Lord, he that created the heavens and stretched them out, he that spread forth the earth and that which cometh out of it, he that giveth breath unto the people upon it and spirit to them that walk therein, I the Lord have called thee in righteousness and will hold thine hand and will keep thee and give thee for a covenant of the people for a light of the Gentiles to open the blind eyes to bring out the prisoners from the prison and them that sit in darkness out of the prison house. I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory will not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. Chapter 43, verse 10. Ye are witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that ye may know and believe me, and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God form, neither shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. I have declared and have saved, and I have showed when there was no strange God among you. Therefore ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, that I am God. Yea, before the day was, I am he. There is none that can deliver out of my hand. I will work, and who shall let it? Thus saith the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, for your sake I have sent to Babylon and have brought down all their nobles and the Chaldeans and cry, whose cry is in the ships. I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. Thus saith the Lord, which maketh a way in the sea and a path in the mighty waters, who bringeth forth the chariot and the horse, the army and the power. They shall lie down together and they shall not rise. They are extinct. They are quenched as tile. 
Remember ye not the former things, neither consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing, now it shall bring forth, shall ye know it. I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Chapter 44, verses 6 and verse 8. Again, Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first, and I am the last, and beside me there is no God. Verse 8. Fear ye not, neither be afraid. Have not I told thee from that time, and have declared it? Ye are even my witnesses. Is there a God beside me? Yea, there is no God. I know not any. And then chapter 45, verse 1 2. Thus saith the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have hold and subdue nations before him, and I will loose the loins of king to open for him the two-leaved gates, and the gates shall not be shut. I will go before thee. Now this, is, this, this Cyrus is the king of Persia who, who made a decree to allow the children of Israel to go back to the land after the captivity of Babylon, to go back to the land and start rebuilding the temple. He commanded them to rebuild the temple and to rebuild their houses and get reestablished in and so the Lord is saying, you know, he's telling this before he even go to Babylon that this is going to happen. And he says, he names him by name. Uh, verse 28 says, That saith of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, shall perform all my pleasure, even saying to Jerusalem, thou shalt be built, and to the temple thy foundation shall be laid. That's in chapter 44, verse 28. And so this Cyrus, and he tells him basically how he's going to defeat Babylon. You know, Babylon thought itself to be an impregnable fortress that could not be conquered. But while Belshazzar is partying and feasting, and the handwriting is appearing on the wall, it, it's, it talks about the two-leaved gates here. There were some gates of the water course that were left open, and Cyrus dried up the river and marched right up the riverbed into the center of the city. And the same night that Belshazzar is partying, and Daniel reads the writing on the wall, he's killed. And Cyrus took the city. And God says, this same Cyrus is going to perform my pleasure. Even though, here's the interesting thing. Look at verse 5. I am the Lord, there is none else. There is no God beside me. I girded thee, though thou hast not known me. Now what does that mean? It means that Cyrus is not really a saved man. See, God can use the wrath of man to praise him. I mean, it was, it was you know, during, we see later on in the book of Ezra, you know, God uses a heathen king to bring about the deliverance of Hazaras through, the, through uh, Mordecai and Esther, of course. You know, they were involved in that as well. But he's the one that... Uh, uh, has, the, has it written to reverse the decree to destroy all the Jews. So, so God is saying, look, I'm the Redeemer. You know, I can do all my pleasure. I can even use a wicked man to bring it about. Cyrus is the man, the king, that's going to order a decree that you will be reestablished in the land. Verse 2 says, I will go before thee and make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of brass and cut and sunder the bars of iron. Give thee the treasures of darkness and so on. And, and so, and, and then on in chapter 45, some of my favorite verses, verse 22, 
23, or verse 21, 22 and 23. Tell ye and bring them near. Yea, let them take counsel together. Who hath declared this from the ancient time? Who hath told it from that time? Have not I the Lord? There is no God else beside me, a just God and a Savior. There is none beside me. Look unto me and be ye saved. All the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. There is none else. You know, and, and, and there's other places that, you know, uh, in this book where, where he's spoken of in this way. You know, and so he reminds them, and we need to remember, redemption is of the Lord. It's not of our doings. Jonah in chapter 2, verse 9 says, I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. So we remember, redemption is of the Lord. Secondly, there's rest is in the judgments of the Lord. Order chapter 51. And I've, been, I've been reading through this in my devotionals. These are the things, some things that have stood out as I've been reading and I'm making notes over. And these are some interesting things. But anyway, verse chapter 51 and verse 4 says this. Hearken unto me, my people, and give ear unto me, O my nation. For a law shall proceed from me, and I will make my judgment to rest for a light of the people. Well, that phrase caught my attention. I will make my judgment to rest for a light of the people. See, there is rest in the judgments of the Lord. The word judgment here really means is, is defined as divine law. Or the law of God. It refers to the law of God, which is the divine standard of moral law. And he says, there's rest in my judgments. There's rest in my law. You know, there's an interesting statement in um, James chapter 1, I believe it is. James chapter 1 where it says, Whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, yeah, James 1.25, Whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty. Now, a lot of, what do they call this generation, millennialists, don't think that law and liberty can go together. But if you don't have law, you will never have liberty. It's law that preserves our liberties. Are we losing our freedoms? Yes, we are. Why? Because we are forsaking the laws that governed our land. We are, by forsaking the law, we are giving up our rights. It's the law that protects our rights. And when we forsake the law of God, which is a consistent, equal standard for everyone, then men who are in power, make laws to suit themselves, and who cares about the rest? And that's what we're seeing in our land. See, at the time of the birth of our nation, the law of God was considered by most people, whether they were saved or unsaved, to be the moral absolutes by which men were to govern themselves. You know, in Bible-believing, Baptists have always been leaders in the ways of right laws based on the law of God. You know, Baptist, in his book on um, 
Baptist history, Brother Robert Sargent makes this statement, Baptists led the way in civil disobedience to unjust laws or unscriptural laws in the colonies. And William Cathcart, in his book, Baptist Patriots in the American Revolution, said this, quote, The Baptists in this country in 1770 may have been regarded as fanatics, but they were universally esteemed as men of God who would not perpetrate what they knew to be wrong for all the world. In other words, they're not going to promote what they view to be wrong to the rest of the world. And when they deliberately everywhere and very frequently violated the plainest colonial laws and showed a readiness to suffer anything in their persons and property rather than submit to enactments in conflict with their consciences, the attention of the whole people was aroused and the wisdom of many of the best men in all the colonies led them to doubt the patriotism of obeying unjust laws. And by this painful method, the suffering Baptists trained their countrymen to disregard the tyrannical legislation of the mother country. Unquote. In other words, what he's saying here is, look, the Baptists, being willing to, to by, by deliverance, they, they suffered uh, and they would not obey unjust laws. In other words, they protested against them. For example, in all the colonies, almost every colony, except Rhode Island and Pennsylvania. I don't think Pennsylvania was an exception. There were taxes to a state church that everyone was required to pay, whether you went to that church or not. In other words, a tax to support that church. In New England, it was the Anglicans. In Virginia, it was Episcopalian. So there was a tax. If you were, if you were a Baptist persuasion, you never went to a Episcopalian church in your life, but you lived in Virginia in those days, you were required to pay a tax to the Episcopal church to pay their preacher. You know what Baptists said? We're not doing it. It's unscriptural. It's unscriptural. And we're not going to do it. We protest. So like, we've got people in our country now lawfully protesting the mandates. Those truckers are going around D.C. They're not doing anything illegal. They're letting their voices be heard. And so this is what they did. And by their protests, and what, this, what Cathcart is saying here, by their protests, they got other people's attention, and other people realized, you know what? They're right. They are right. These are unjust laws. They're not fair. Why should they support a church they never attend, from which they get no benefit? You know, Obadiah Holmes, willing to suffer whipping in Boston Square in 1651, turned many people against the state church authorities. In fact, one writer said this, quote, But the savage beating of Obadiah Holmes brought international attention to the very idea that Puritans wanted to suppress, unquote. You know, Patrick Henry, he was an Episcopalian. Yet when he saw these Baptist preachers being jailed in Virginia for preaching the gospel without a license from the Episcopalian church or permission from the Episcopalian church, you know what he did? He thought, this ain't right. And he defended them, much to the chagrin of his uncle, who was, a press, who was an Episcopalian preacher. 
And he won some cases. But see, he realized, look, this ain't right. This isn't right. You know, George Washington, who was Episcopalian also, and he was baptized by Baptist John Gonneau during the Revolutionary War. You know, Baptists have always rejected this thing called the divine right of kings, which authorized a state church, basically. You know, they have believed that men should have liberty of conscience to worship God however they deem right or not. And that the law of God was a standard for just and equitable, equitable or equal government. You know, all, although all the founders were not Baptists, they were greatly influenced and petitioned by the Baptists to form a constitution based on the law of God. And that's what we have. This is why our nation has had the success and liberty for over 200 years. Because our basis of law was not man-centered, but God-centered. And it was unchangeable. And it was equal or the same for everyone. After all, God is no respecter of persons. And you know what that brings? When it's the same for everyone, it brings harmony. It brings unity. It brings equality. That's why our nation has been a beacon. That's why people want to come here. Though I'm wondering sometimes why they still want to, but they still are. And, you know, that's how we got our Constitution and Bill of Rights. They are the law of the land, by the way. You know, when Israel departed from the law of God, it brought confusion, strife, chaos. That's what reigned. So like what's described in the book of Judges, every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And that's where we are in America. No more absolutes. People are confused. You know, sometimes people say some of the most confusing things. For example, quote, you really can't know anything. Unquote. Well, obviously he knows he don't know anything. Or, quote, I know for sure you can't know anything for sure. Unquote. Or, how about this one? Quote, I don't believe in life after death, yet I believe we need to respect the dead by burning incense to them. Unquote. Why? If there's no life after death, why would we burn incense? Or pay, you know, for priests to pray over them, whatever. Or how about this one? Quote, I am absolutely sure that you should not come to any conclusions about what is right or wrong. Unquote. See, this, this creates a world without a consistent standard by which to govern itself. It's now you decide as you go. You decide as you please. And that's where we are. You know, the fruit of this is those in power can live by one standard and arrest by another. Promotes tyranny, chaos, confusion, which will bring a society to ruin. Happened to Israel, happened to Rome, happens in Canada, it's happening here. You know, what is the problem? Well, we have allowed the government to take the role of God. Government thinks they're God. You know, Tucker Carlson has said several times that Fauci is his high priest, or thinks he is. You know, the government has become the lawmaker and, and they have relegated churches to non-essential or non-decisive. You know what? 
a lot of churches do fit that. They're non-decisive. Watch what's that guy in CNN try to pin Joel Olstein down on what he believes about homosexuals. And he's non-decisive. You know, God's not non-decisive about it, but he is. See, therein is the problem. That's the problem with our nation. You know, in, 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 in the days of the, of the war for independence, churches weren't non-decisive. They were very clear. Even Baptist churches, even Baptist churches are non-decisive today. They have let the government tell them whether they should meet or not. Never should we let the government tell us whether we should meet or not. They have no right to tell us when we are meet or not. You know, we're citizens of another country. We're not citizens of here. Well, we are, but, you know, our citizenship is in heaven. But this is a problem. Non-disciple. How does this happen? In modern Christianity, you know, you know, it was promoted by new evangelicalism, fundamentalism. You know, we divide the New Testament by, by, and, and by strict dispensationalism, that is, by strict time periods, by forcing our own interpretations and definitions of words. The church no longer means an assembly. It means this universal thing that you can't see. And, and so we've pushed the Gospels and the law of God into the Old Testament, which is not for today. That's where we get our law. We set aside the teaching of the law by Christ in the Gospels, consider it part of the Old Testament, and say it's not relevant for today's church. Therefore, we have weakened the foundation. The foundation of true salvation is that the sinfulness of man, that there's the sinfulness of man and the need of our redemption, or need of law to govern us. You know, a good example of this is, you know, you know, God's law is the same for everyone. It's without respect of persons, not legislated by man. It cannot be bribed. How do you bribe God? But men can be bribed. It is what it is. Truth's truth. The only thing you can do with it is set it aside and make your own. And here in chapter 51, again, verse 4. Hearken unto me, my people, give ear unto me, O my nation, for a law shall proceed from me, and I will make my judgment to rest for light of the, of the people. The law is light. You know, we are becoming more divided, insecure, and without wisdom in our nation because we have forsaken the law of God. It is light. It gives understanding under the simple. Hey, the wisest thing we've ever heard was, that's how, that's, we need to reduce crime. So you know what we need to do? Reduce the police force. Does that sound smart to you? What's happening? We've forsaken the light of God. It's found in the law. The entrance of thy words giveth light, giveth understanding unto the simple. So, we see there's rest. You know, people don't think, how are you going to have rest? You've got law. Because it's only in law that you can have true liberty 
because it protects you from the violation of your rights. Third thing, righteousness imputed of the Lord is forever. Look at verse 6 of chapter 51. Lift up your eyes to the heavens. Look upon the earth beneath. For the heavens shall vanish away like smooth, and the earth shall wax old like a garment. And they that dwell therein shall die in like manner. But, and I like the buts in the Bible, but my salvation shall be forever, and my righteousness shall not be abolished. You know, that's all, to me, that's enough to make you shout. I mean... He says, my salvation shall be forever and my righteousness shall not be abolished. You know, any righteousness of man that man has, any righteousness that man has is righteousness that's been imputed or given to him. You know, there's nothing, there's no such thing as a righteous man or woman in and of themselves. The Bible declares that very plainly. Matthew 19, 7, Jesus said to the rich young ruler, why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. Ecclesiastes 7.20, There is not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth. And of course we know from Romans chapter 3, verses 10, 11, and 23, There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, none that seeketh after God. Uh, all men, or all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So there is none righteous but God. None righteous. And the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, neither can he know them. You know, he doesn't understand. Job said, who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? And man's unclean. He's a sinner. And of course, Isaiah in chapter 64 and verse 6 says, but we are all as an unclean thing. And all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. But he hath made him sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You see, God has made us righteous in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's his righteousness. And his righteousness is forever. It cannot be abolished. You know, the word imputed, imputation means to place another account. You know, I know Bradley's buying a house and he would shout glory if I placed $100,000 in his account. That would be imputation. Don't count on it. But, um, you know, that's what God did for us. He gave us, or He imputed to us, the righteousness of Himself and His person of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the righteousness of the eternal God, and it is eternal righteousness. Look at verses 7 and 8. It says, Hearken unto me, ye that know righteousness, the people in whose heart is my law. Fear ye not the reproach of men, neither be ye afraid of their revilings. For the moth shall eat them up like a garment, and the worm shall eat them like wool. But my righteousness shall be forever, and my salvation from generation to generation. You see, man cannot annul it or cancel it. It cannot be annihilated. That's what it means. It cannot be abolished. It cannot be annihilated. God's righteousness. 
You know, this, this truth is taught throughout the Bible, and even here in the Old Testament. You know, God's salvation is the same whether it's old or new. It's the same. In the Gospel of John alone, and just look at a few places, John chapter 6, verse 35 to 40, he says, Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. He that believeth on me shall never thirst. We always say never is a long time. Yeah, it is. It's forever. But I said unto you, that ye also have seen me and believe not. So it makes a contrast here between those who believe and those that do not believe. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I come down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. In the judgment day, those that believe in me, I'm going to raise up. I will not lose one that believe in me. John 10, 27, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. And, of course, he tells us there in John chapter 10 that we are in the Father's hand. By the way, that's spoken of in Isaiah also. In Isaiah 49, in verse 14 through 16, it says, But Zion said, The Lord hath forgotten me. Do you ever feel like the Lord has forgotten you? And my Lord hath forgotten, or Lord hath forsaken me, and my Lord hath forgotten me. And then he says this, Can a woman forget her suckling child? That she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yea, they may, nev- they may forget. You know, a woman may forget. There are women that have cast their children aside, left to die. Romans tells us that's unnatural. It is unnatural. You know, we had some baby goats born. You know, they're just two days, three days old. If you go in that pen, pick one of them up, and it starts squawking. You know, kids don't squawk. They just squeal. Um, but anyway, they start squealing. Mama gets excited. She gets excited. She's coming to the rescue. That's a goat. That goat can't reason. How much more a human mother and, and But the Lord says, they may forget, yet will I not forget thee. Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. You know, the evidence, the only thing in heaven that testifies of man, of man's sin, is the marks on the Lord's hands and his feet. He'll never forget us. He'll never forget us. See, the Lord's righteousness cannot be abolished. It cannot be broken. It cannot be annihilated. You know, Romans 8 tells us, Who shall lay anything to charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Hebrews 10:14 says, For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified.
You see, if you have repented of your sin and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you have the righteousness of Christ and it can never be abolished. Can't be abolished. Because it is of God. And no man can pluck us out of the Father's hand.